You're listening to the Perch Pod from Perch Perspectives. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another special episode of the Perch Pod. As usual, I'm your host. I'm Jacob Shapiro. I'm the founder and chief strategist of Perch Perspectives and the director of geopolitical analysis at Cognitive Investments. Joining me on this special podcast is Eloi Monard. He is the co-founder of Civic Class. He's also a faculty member at the University of Lima in Peru. Um, Elohim is an expert in Peru and in Latin America in general, and we're going to be having him on the podcast also with some of his analyst friends to talk more about Latin America since that's a big theme for us. But we wanted to get him on immediately to talk about what's going on in Peru this week. Uh, what started with some relatively small protests about rising food and fuel prices uh, have spread around the country. The Peruvian military has deployed to parts of the country to try and instill order. President Pedro Castillo uh, briefly declared uh, a curfew in Lima. So there's been a lot going on, and I was really appreciative of Elohim for coming on and talking to us. We recorded Wednesday, April 6th, and we will get this up as soon as we can since some of this is all developing in real time. Otherwise, cheers. Thanks so much. Remember to stay tuned. We've got some exciting updates coming for you and a lot more podcast content on the way. In the meantime, cheers. Take care. We will see you out there. Um, Elohim, we, this is our second time trying. We had some technical difficulties to get started with, but I, I started by asking you whether you know what your name means in Hebrew, and you do as well, apparently. I do, but I'm not Jewish. But this is a, uh, an interesting story with my family. I can tell you later. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, look, I we wanted to have you on. We're recording on April 6th. We're going to have this podcast out sooner than we do with most podcasts because there's a lot going on in Peru right now. Um, for, for our listeners who aren't following Peru closely, tell us a little bit about what's been going on in Peru and especially in Lima where you're recording from in the last couple of days. There's a lot of demonstrations that are happening all across the country uh, from about one week ago. Uh, However, Lima, the capital city, had a very huge demonstration yesterday, uh, actually requesting the president to resign. So it is a very critical situation in political terms, and I think this is not going to stop very soon. Well, yeah, and so I I read that that the that President Castillo had deployed the military in some instances to try and restore order, and there was a twenty four hour curfew or something, I believe, in Lima. So has that been relaxed at all? Has that had any effect, or have things just been getting worse as a result of that escalation? So I will tell you the story, so you have all the context. Uh, one week ago, the farmers and the Transport workers uh, came uh, out to demonstrations, uh, especially in cities out of Lima. Uh, and one of them was Huancayo, which is in the in the center of the country, and it's actually the the, the region where the the president's political party came from. It's very symbolic, and in this place. Demonstrations became very violent, and uh, at the end of the, of the day, they had some negotiation with the whole government, and some agreements came about. However, these agreements brought expectations from other groups from different parts of the country. So the next day, uh, the most violent demonstrations started in different uh, parts of the country again. And in Lima, there were some 
uh, we can say attempts, but it didn't happen. Uh, there were a lot of uh, fake news about uh, violent demonstrations wherever, but mm -hmm. in Lima, it didn't happen yet. So the president decided two days ago, almost at midnight, to set a curfew in Lima and Callao, which is uh, a whole uh, territory, uh, a single territory, Lima and Callao, the port. Okay, this has different interpretations. First, this is very symbolic because on April 5th, it was the 30th anniversary of the Fujimori's coup. Mm. So it brought a lot of, uh, it recalled a lot of uh, ideas of how oppression and how uh, authoritarianism comes in Peru. Secondly, it was completely unconstitutional because the excuse was a kind of intelligence information that people were going to uh, rubber all markets across the city. But it was a rumor, actually. Mm -hmm. And how do you close the entire country, not the country, the capital city, based on rumors, right? And uh, thirdly, there is a context of a weak presidency, a weak uh, management, a weak administration, public administration, uh, with accusations of corruption and uh, mismanagement. So in this context, you have that global markets, uh, inflation are not in the best moment. Oil and food have the highest prices in 20 years. In Peru, demonstrations started because of that, but without a timely response from the government. So, what was the outcome of this curfew? And that's a huge question. Because the outcome was completely the opposite what the president expect, expected. So there, so there was a, a, a massive civilian disobedience. And in Lima, which until that moment was not the epicenter of the of demonstrations, became the, became the epicenter, but not with an agenda of negotiating policies, but an agenda of a asking the president to resign. So well, is, is it also, is it fair to say that in Lima, President Castillo has never been particularly popular? Never, ever. Um, and if you want to come back to some issues, Peruvian structural issues, is that you have some cleavages or inequalities or gaps that, are part of our life. Lima versus the other uh, cities or regions, so the capital city versus 
the provinces, we can say. Uh, then you have urban versus rural. Then you have a European-like or European look uh, of uh, people and more indigenous-like people. Um, and all these cleavages, all these uh, gaps arose during the elections when President Castillo confronted uh, Keiko Fujimori, the, the daughter of Alberto Fujimori. And uh, Castillo won not because uh, he was the best. He won because most people didn't want Keiko Fujimori to become president. But he got to be in the in, in the in the in, in the second round of the of the elections because many people really felt that after the pandemic there were they needed someone who unless represented them in terms of again the rural professor uh, from unions who who who, who for the very first time comes this this figure comes to the to, to, to power and that's what happened uh, however castillo is completely uh, what's the what I, i'm looking for a word that is not that hard he doesn't know what to do with the power he has but when well, I, he he seems overwhelmed. I I would agree with that. But I I wonder if is the issue that Castillo um, uh, is is enacting bad policies or is doing bad things, or is it is he not quite as powerful as we would expect? Because his party seems to be very very weak in Congress. And to your point, he has all of these factions within these in Peru who oppose him. So it's probably both. But tell me, you know, what parts of Castillo's presidency do you think are him being overwhelmed or not having good policies, and how much of it is just he had, doesn't really have that much power to do anything. And so when you have these rising food prices and things like that, he just seems to be looking, searching for anything that possibly works, even though none of it actually is working. He had the opportunity to start with good policies and to really manage. He had a strong opposition. He has a, a, the... The, what's the, the how do you say when it's not the the majority but it's the minority the le- but it's the the highest my mi- minority right how do you say it plurality maybe is what you're looking for no it you have you have a lot of uh, small groups and uh, okay I'll tell you again okay what happened is that Castillo does not have the the dominance of the Congress. However, he has the largest number of uh, Congress people. Mm-hmm. So, and he he has room for negotiating things. The problem is that Castillo started with no strong uh, or no idea of what policies to implement in a context of the COVID afterwards and uh, an economic crisis already happening. 
then you have that many of the ministers that he recruited had no the profile. Mm-hmm. And many of them have some prosecutions with them. Some of them in corruption. And they are the the main partners in many ways are what we call in Peru the informal uh, economy, mm-hmm. which is an euphemism for illegality sometimes, the illegal economy. For example, uh, illegal transportation, for example, illegal mining, and with the excuse of formalization, they can do whatever they, they, they want. Mm-hmm. So they are the, their part. They are, they are the government's partners. But he had the opportunity to do something because he had some support, especially in the south of the country, important support, rural areas, what what he calls the people. Yes, there were many poor people who are supporting him, who were supporting him, but not anymore. Because their own failures are now showing that he's not only uh, weak, but he's incapable to do something. He doesn't have an idea. It's very sad to say, but it's not only that he's overwhelmed. He doesn't know what to do. He's paralyzed. And because of that, policies are paralyzed. And because of that, when you have this inflation coming all across the world, he doesn't know what to do. And the people that he recruited doesn't know how to do what to do. Mm-hmm. And this is the reason why we are exploding as a country. I, I want to continue talking about Castillo, but before I do, I just want to ask you as somebody who is a, like me as a policy nerd, um, because you know a lot of countries right now are facing inflation, especially when it comes to food, especially when it comes to energy. Peru is a fairly significant importer uh, of both of those things. I was looking just you know, a, a significant amount of corn they've been importing as well. Those prices are going up and the USDA just reported pretty disappointing numbers on acres planted in the United States. What what do you what do you wish Castillo had done when those prices were going up? Like what policies do you think that he should have implemented that he didn't? Do you have a sense or was it or do you think that it was really just kind of a difficult situation and it was that feeling that he didn't know what was going on and what it, what was going on that that led to people lacking confidence in him? The the prices were coming up from oil price prices, let's say. They were going up from a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And we all knew that it was going to come and it was going to be very high. Do you agree with me? Yeah, for sure. So you have to start planning some subsidies, some uh, target uh, support in terms of gas, for example. We cook with gas in our houses. So the the price was doubling in the last months before the inflation. And so you can imagine how hard it is for people to to get to cook right now. So he didn't show any plan. So he reacted after five days 
of uh, demonstrations that he ignored at the, at, at the first time, and then he said that they were people who were paid from the opposition to be there in the streets. Okay, what he did, he did an exception of uh, taxes for oil. Okay, so, and you can discuss, because it's not targeted, it's everywhere. It's okay. That is something that he had to do at least, but he had to announce at least one month before, in my opinion, because it was going to come anyway. Well, and, and the other part of this, right, is that there was that uh, volcanic explosion in Tonga in January, which caused a tsunami, which caused some kind of oil spill in Peru. I'm remembering now in January. And then one of Peru's oil refineries went offline. And that also seemed to be a whole mess of corruption that the government didn't have a very good challenge on. So even in the context of rising oil prices, it seems like Peru was uniquely vulnerable to rising oil prices, to your point. So he probably should have been a little better prepared from that point of view. And if you want another problem to that, uh, we have a, a national uh, public uh, enterprise, uh, which is Petro Peru, mm -hmm. right? And uh, you had in the last four months a lot of accusations of corruption uh, with the general manager and uh, the directory. So, mm -hmm. with the board. So, all the ways bring you to the two companies who were already in the core of the problem, Petro Peru and Repsol. Yeah. So it's a perfect storm. The problem is that we don't know where are we going. Mm -hmm. Because if you ask me, okay, what's next? Okay, will we have better policies? There is no capability. There is no. And you ask every single Peruvian in this moment if the government has capacity to react to the context, and every single Peruvian will tell you no. So what's next? Whether the president resigns or the Congress impeaches him. Right? The Congress attempted to impeach him twice mm -hmm. but he could they couldn't why because they are the opposition is not smart enough to take this president out of the position so we have a problem of a vacuum of power because you have a government without capacity and an opposition without capacity, without political capacity, at least. I don't know if it has policy capacity, but political capacity, there is no there. There is no capacity to have an agreement a strong, to, to, to draft a strong case for this guy to get out of the presidency. So what's next? I don't have an idea. Well, that's that's particularly scary. But I mean, they just tried an, an impeachment vote. It was was that last week, Am I, or was it two weeks ago? I mean, that was fairly recent that they failed. I think it was recent. Monday. Yeah, <laughs> and they they even with this, they still can't get it together. They were far from the votes they needed. Um, but so 
Well, I, I have two questions there. Let's start with the first one. The first one is, so how long do you think Castillo lasts? I mean, this can't go on sort of forever, can it? Do you think eventually the opposition will get things together or people will just be so fed up? Or do you think that Castillo can continue on like this for, for months even? I have a very bad feeling. I think that they are not consciously, but they are waiting for a tragedy to really make decisions. Mm. So I will give you an example. When uh, two years ago in, in November 2020, we had also huge demonstrations in Peru, in Peru against uh, Merino, who was president for only one week, Manuel Merino. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the occurrence that triggered his uh, resignation was the killing of two young guys uh, in the streets of the downtown Lima, uh, arguably uh, because of the police mm -hmm. officer. Okay? So that was the trigger. We don't have yet that kind of trigger in Peru for this resignation. However, there are five people who already passed away during these demonstrations in different ways because, uh, not because of an accident with a car, because uh, a, a teenager uh, fell down uh, in, a, in a hill, avoiding the, the, the battle between uh, policemen and, and people. And you have one case of a guy who passed away because of, a, because of a confrontation directly with the police and he was hit in the neck. Mm. The problem is that if that guy died, and this is very sad what I'm going to say, if this guy died in Lima, in the downtown, maybe Castillo would be expelled tomorrow. But he didn't die in Lima. He, he, he died in Huanuco, which is almost between the, the Andean region and the Amazon region. So he's far from the power. He's, he's far from Lima. And uh, lives uh, don't, I don't know how to say it. They don't, lives don't, don't have the same value uh, depending on the, ter the territory you come from. Yeah, the the sad irony of that is that the that's the, exactly the sort of inequality that led people to vote for Castillo and to vote for change. Um, but apparently, he's not he has not been able to be powerful enough to change it. Um, what um, who do you think would take over from Castillo in the future? I mean, is Keiko Fujimori waiting in the wings? Is there some other figure that's here, or is one of the problems here is as you said that it's really just a vacuum and nobody wants this position because of what a difficult situation it is. It is that nobody wants the position. It is that nobody nobody's prepared for this position. So, what's the what's the way it should happen? Castillo leaves, either because he resigns or because uh, the Congress uh, impeaches him. Whatever is the case, 
Dina Boluarte, which is the vice president, will, would come into power. Mm-hmm. First question, would Dina keep in power or would, he, would she resign? As she said once, if Castillo leaves, I would resign. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if she stays, would she call for elections or not? Next, if she resigns, who comes into power? The president of Congress, who is eh, Maria del Carmen Alba eh, from Acción Popular. Acción Popular is the political party that also had Manuel Merino, the president that one year and a half ago was only for one week. So mm-hmm. nobody wants her in power. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so... If she comes into power, will she call for election only for president or both for president and Congress? So if you see all these paths, that all these different answers for these questions that I am bringing now on the table, you completely don't know what is going to happen in this in this country because you don't know who is going to be. Uh, in power next year. Yeah. Um, I want to start zooming out sort of the broader regional level as well and what what impact and what this tells us regionally in Latin America. But the first question I thought I might ask is the, one of the things that is strange about this is that on paper, Peru should be doing very well because Peru is a top exporter of copper and of lead and of zinc and of all these mineral commodities that have just exploded in value over the past year as a result of COVID and supply chain disruptions and which will probably continue to go up in value. Um, So although Peru does have a lot of expensive import needs, they should be able to pay for those needs with their exports. Um, Why isn't that happening? Why why are Peru's resources not allowing Peru to to have the similar kind of success as, as, say, Chile or some of the other countries in the region that have done quite well in this environment? I think political science uh, has answered this question uh, uh, recently. Institutions matter. Hmm. And that's a fact. And we don't have strong political institutions. We build strong economic institutions. We have uh, the best central banker in the world for many people. I don't know if you you know it, but this guy... This guy wa- received prizes everywhere because he's a genius. Maybe without him, inflation would explode. Hmm. Or, or the currency. But no, we are stable economically. We have been very responsible in terms of uh, our, our finances in the last 20 years. So economically, we were a miracle. But in terms of political institutions, we didn't do our homework. And it was to have a strong political parties, at least organized political parties, at least political parties who don't have the incentives to bring criminals to their uh, candidacies. Okay? Mm-hmm. Then we 
So actually, we broke the, the checks and balances equilibrium. And you have that in the last five years, the way the, this equilibrium undermined was enormous, let me tell you. So first, when PPK won the election against Keiko Fujimori, Keiko Fujimori had the absolute majority in Congress. Mm -hmm. Because of that, the Fujimori team took advantage to it and it started to push, to push, to push against PPK government. And then a set of corruption uh, accusations ended up with uh, PPK resigning. Then the vice president comes into power, Vizcarra, who was our president for one year and a half, and he decided to close the Congress, to send everyone home, because he had an interpretation of the Constitution that he could do it. Mm -hmm. Supported by some <coughs> uh, attorneys. Then uh, you have this vacuum of power again. Merino, who was the, the president of Congress in that moment, comes into power. He, uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm Vizcarra takes everyone out. And then three months later, no, one year later, during the pandemic, the Congress decides to impeach Vizcarra. And Vizcarra go. Okay? With a new Congress, actually, because you had elections six months before. Then you have Merino, who comes in power. Now he comes in power. But people didn't like Merino. So they come on the street and say, Merino, go home. And then you have Sagasti. He was our president for six months. Now we had elections, very turbulent elections, because we had, and you know it in the US, we had, you had actually, I think you were the example for the world on how to do this, to, yes. to, uh, to say that it was everything fake and a fraudulent, elections and we don't have to trust the elections body and whatever you know the story and uh, at the end of the day they could they couldn't prove it and castillo came into power uh, now you have twice attempts for impeachment so where are the checks and balances so we don't know if a president would last five years anymore. This is a very critical situation, Jacob, because mm -hmm. we broke red lines that will be very difficult to return to. Yeah, I mean, this is the, the breakdown of democratic norms and of, and of institutions is really, really difficult. It's one of the reasons I've been watching Chile very closely, because Chile now has a center left. Some people might call him a far left leader. But that election, despite a lot of trouble in Chile, was very, very peaceful, certainly more peaceful than the American election, as you alluded to. Uh, because so, institutions work. Yeah. They followed yeah. 
the rules. We did the opposite. We managed to break the rules within the rules. <laughs> that that's hard to say. Yeah, I, it's I. You guys did a very good job at it, I guess. Um, but does that mean that what's happening in Peru right now is really a story about Peru, and it's not going to have any broader ramifications politically in the region? Or do you feel like something is starting in Peru that could move to other parts of the region? Because I mean, we have very very contentious elections coming up in Colombia as well, and there have been a lot of troubles there around COVID and protest, police violence and protests there. So is, is this a Peru specific thing, or? Are we going to have troubles in the region and this is just an initial sign? We already started to have troubles in the region even before the pandemic because mm -hmm. Latin Americans don't trust democracy in the way we expect because democracy didn't deliver in the way we expected to deliver. And when I say deliver, I'm not telling you to have, ele have elections. Uh, deliver means public services and benefits for the people, for most of the people, for more, the most vulnerable people. And democracy didn't deliver everywhere in, in Latin America. And with the growth of technologies, this power in hands of so many people and so many groups, what we had if is a uh, an explosion of fake news and polarization like everywhere in the world that only added fire or, or oil to this fire which was already existing about mm. our institutional agreements. So what is happening in Peru is a different or a, a uh, its own kind of expression in our own terms about a trend that is happening everywhere in Latin America. It happened in Chile, it happened in Colombia, it happened in, in Brazil. It, ha it is happening in different ways. We are weaker than those countries in terms of institutions. And that is why uncertainty is higher. Mm -hmm. But the symptom of people going to the street to express their discomfort, the unrest, is a common trend. Do you have any fear of a Venezuela-type scenario or even a Bolivia-type scenario? Um or, or do you think that Peru is strong enough to get through this on the other side? I know you said that you, you weren't sure what's going to happen next, but where is your confidence level and your faith level in, in Peru itself? Do you think that it can remake these institutions and reinforce some of these rules and get back to stability? Or, or do you feel like there's a lot worse to come? Becoming Venezuela requires a different kind of power in the government. First, you need oil power, which is money. Mm -hmm. Then you need military power which is the military supporting the government and a strong civilian base uh, or legitimacy, at least, some, in some way. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is the way that Hugo Chavez built uh, its power 
in many years. It, it didn't happen from one year to another. Mm-hmm. So this government in this context doesn't have that power, doesn't have the money from oil, legitimacy, nor a military power. So I would say we are safe to become Venezuela in the short run. The problem is who could come after Castillo, whether from his group, maybe someone smarter than him, or from other group who doesn't necessarily follow the Venezuela model, but follows the dictatorship model. And with this weak institution, any smart dictator who really knows how to aggregate power is a menace for us. Mm-hmm. Why do you think democracy hasn't worked as well in, in South America? That's a big question, but why, why do you think that democracy has not worked as well? <laughs> That's a big question, really. Uh, we, we, we should probably do three more podcasts on it, but we can at least start the, <laughs> the conversation here. History matters. Culture matters. Uh, we have a history of dictatorships uh, which created uh, a culture of authoritarianism that it's, it's, a, it's a sticky. Mm-hmm. It's a sticky in, in, different, in different ways and in different layers. Uh, so that's, what, that's one thing. Uh, I I also think that corruption and is 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 a cancer that we don't know how to deal with, uh, and now it's also merged with uh, criminal organizations uh, that comes from drugs, from smuggling, whatever. So that's a, that's a, that's a really dangerous point. And I I also think that. This idea of not providing inequality, racism, broke the confidence, not only between people and institutions and the government, but also people with people. So we don't trust each other. How do you build a strong nation if you don't trust each other? So I think I gave you a couple of ideas that, as you said, we can, with each one of them, we can have a podcast. Yeah. Um, One more kind of big question before we close out. And and this is something that's been confusing for me. And I wonder if you have an answer for this. Um, Usually when a country is as politically unstable as Peru has been, markets tend to be afraid of what's going on. Um, And certainly markets would be afraid of a leader like Pedro Castillo becoming president of any country um, just because, I mean, he's he's a real dyed in the wool Marxist as far as I can tell. You know, they call a lot of people in the world Marxist like Castillo seems to be the real thing. Like he seems to really read it and believe it. Um, But markets in Peru have actually not done terribly. It doesn't seem to have scared away foreign investors quite yet. And markets are actually up on the year in Peru, even despite all of this political instability. What do you think it is that markets and investors are seeing in Peru or not seeing in Peru right now um, that that is not being reflected there? Because there really is a disjuncture, I think, between how markets are viewing Peru and what's actually happening in Peru on the ground. Do you know what was the only negotiation that Castillo 
couldn't uh, attempt to win in the start of his presidency to change the president of the central bank. Mm -mm. So he is the president of, of the central bank in Peru is for the for the enterprises for the business people is an idol it's a peruvian idol so we have the the, the our our central bank covert we can say in some way uh, castillo even if he started with something from the left, someone from the left, uh, who was Pedro Franque, who is, uh, is his first uh, minister of economy, he rapidly changed to someone from inside the Ministry of uh, Economic Finance. So mm -hmm. we have someone from, from someone from inside. So Pedro Castillo has a medical doctor who is also almost esoteric really, in the Ministry of Health. But he couldn't put someone from his uh, people in the Ministry of Economy in Peru. So even if the, we, we have this, all these political changes, the Central Bank and the Ministry of Economic Finances is are very resilient. I don't know how long, but that would be my my answer. So we are still are living the hangover of our uh, better days in economic policy. <laughs> it sounds like maybe the president of the central bank should uh, should become president of the country. No, <laughs> the problem is if he wins. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is elections. <laughs> For sure. Um, Elohim, so we're going to have you on a couple more times. We're going to talk all about you know other countries in Latin America. It's really good to know you and to see you here. And um, this was a great first episode. So thank you so much for, uh, for making the time. And we'll get this up soon for listeners. And um, cheers. We'll see you out there. Thank you very much, Jacob. It was uh, a pleasure to be here. And let's start more conversations. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Perch Pod. If you haven't already, you can find us under the name The Perch Pod on every major streaming platform. Subscribe for downloads, follow us, all that good stuff. Uh, if you have feedback on this episode or on any episode, you can email us at info at perchperspectives.com. I can't promise that we'll reply to every single email that comes in, but I read every single one that comes in and I love hearing from listeners, so please don't be shy. Uh, you can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at Perchspectives because we love a good pun. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn under Perch Perspectives. Most importantly, please check out our website. It's www.perchperspectives.com. Besides being able to find out more information about the company, the services that we provide, and even to read samples of our work, you can also sign up for our twice a week newsletter on the most important political developments in the world. It's free. All you have to do is provide your email address. And even if you don't want to do that, you can read the post for free on our blog. Thanks again for listening. Please spread the word about Perch Perspectives and the Perch Pod, and we'll see you out there.